Equal access to justice is a core American value. In each episode of Talk Justice, an LSC podcast, we'll explore ways to expand access to justice and illustrate why it is important to the legal community, business, government, and the general public. Talk Justice is sponsored by the Leaders' Council of the Legal Services Corporation. Welcome to Talk Justice, an LSC podcast. I'm Kristen Sunday, the co-chair of LSC's Emerging Leaders' Council and the co-founder and CEO of Paladin, a pro bono management platform. I'm especially honored to be guest hosting this episode of Talk Justice during Pro Bono Month, October, which is my favorite month of the year, talking about the role that justice tech can play in accelerating pro bono matters. With me today, I have Ransom Widener, the Vice President of Pro Bono and Social Impact at 650, which is a tech subsidiary of Wilson Sonsini, and Sam Flynn, the co-founder and COO of Joseph. Specifically, I'm excited to touch on some of the ways you've both partnered with legal services organizations to develop innovative tools and share some recommendations for how we can all collaborate. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you. Thanks, Kristen. So Ransom, let's start with you. I've been a fan of 650 for years now, and you all have been such a leader in building tools both for pro bono lawyers and also for self-represented litigants. So start us off at the highest level. What is 650's mission, and how do you think about the organization's strategic goals as they relate to access to justice? Uh, Thanks so much, Kristen. We're big fans of you, too. Um, And I'm so excited to talk about 650's mission, which is to make the law more accessible. We have an enterprise side of the business that does that for companies uh, with employment docs, privacy docs, corporate and commercial docs. And then there's the pro bono side of the business where we build free tools for people who can't afford legal help. And for every company that we've helped with our paid products, we've helped almost 40 individuals for free. And we do that because we believe very strongly that the law is for everyone, that it belongs to us like parks and libraries belong to us, and that people should feel empowered by the law and not intimidated by it. And that's something I care about a lot personally. Uh, I, I feel very happy and and honored to work for a company that cares about pro bono. Our parent company cares a lot about pro bono. And I care about pro bono a lot personally because I have a lot of firsthand experience with how, to, how intimidating the law can be. Uh, I was born at home, uh, a neighbor's home actually, because our home was a shack. I was homeschooled, we were way off the grid, no social security number, no birth certificate. And then when I decided I wanted to join society, it was incredibly hard. Every step was hard. And, you know, I needed my congressman's help to get a passport a few years ago. So I, I get how difficult and how complicated and how daunting the law can be for regular people. So 650 wants to help make it less daunting. We focus on three ways to do that. Upstream solutions to help people stay out of court. Helping the helpers so that attorneys can spend less time on paperwork and more time helping people. And simple forms, because forms are the main way that regular people interact with the government and with the law, and they can be much more accessible. Uh, Our goal, you know, talk about strategic goals, our goal for 2023 is to build useful tools in each of those categories and then get those tools into the hands of people who need them with the, the larger goal of helping to move the needle and close the access to justice gap. Great. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I actually didn't know about your background, but, you know, I... I personally think that the best tech solutions are built by the people who are closest to the problem themselves. So it's really incredible to think about how you translated your personal experience to some of the things that you're working on today. I, yeah, I agree. Uh, it's, I, I appreciate that. It's, it's something very important to me. I, it was 
it was kind of a light bulb moment for me when I when my congressman's office helped me get my passport because the State Department said, you need this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a hospital record, you don't have a census record, no passport ever, end of story. But then with the exact same data, the exact same records, you know, two staffers from my congressman's office did in five days what I couldn't do in four months. And, I, and that was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that helped me to recognize, okay, the law is not the same for normal people and powerful people. Obviously, my congressperson has different access to national security, but we should have the same access to my records, you know? Right, absolutely. And if it's happening to you, it's happening to other people as well. So Absolutely. That's really incredible. Amazing. So Sam, Joseph is a no-code legal automation platform that was initially built for community legal centers in Australia, which is the equivalent of legal services organizations here in the States. How did you personally get involved with Pro Bono and how did Joseph get started? Uh, yeah, thanks, Kristen. That's that's right. So uh, we're sort of on a similar journey to the one that Ransom is on at 650, where we're making legal services more accessible. We're doing it in a slightly different way. So we've built what's called a no-code automation platform for people in the audience who haven't heard of that. I hadn't heard of it before I built it. It's a a platform that lets you, as a non-technical person, build a digital tool. So you might have heard of Wix or Squarespace for a website. You, as a non-engineer, can go on and build a website. Before those things, you had to be a developer or an engineer or someone who knew how to code to build even a simple website. Same principle here. But what you're able to build are legal digital tools. So tools that automate your day-to-day work as uh, maybe an attorney, but also paralegals, anyone who's sort of working in the, the legal space. Um, and so that the, the three broad categories, so doc automation tools, tools that, tools that automate common documents, um, intake and triage tools, which are particularly important for LSOs um, and community legal centers, as you said, which is what they're called in Australia, which is where I am at the moment and guidance and automation tools. So tools that answer um, frequently asked questions or common queries for LSOs. Um, And we'll dig into some of those examples today. We started maybe three and a half years ago and we originally built the tool for LSOs. That's right. We now work with large corporations around the world. So the Swiss Stock Exchange, Bupa, L'Oreal, large law firms. So Clifford Chance, K&L Gates, and all the way through to um, LSO still. So they still sit at the core of what we do. Um, and our mission remains, as does Ransom's, making legal services more accessible for everyone. So we work on that spectrum from like the corporate commercial legal world through to um, everyday people facing everyday legal problems. And it's really exciting to be on this panel. Uh, I think I think we're someone else who shares that vision and with you as well, Kristen, with the amazing work you do at, at Paladin. One of the the things that um, we spoke about when we were preparing for this, Kristen, was sort of my journey into this space. I think Ransom, your story was like like just hearing your passion um, was really compelling, and I think it's so important to have people in the space who have experienced what it's like to be an outsider. Because that's really what I heard from you, right? You're an outsider to oh, the yeah. legal system, and if they don't, if the legal world doesn't recognize you or you don't share its lexicon or you're not able to structure things in a way that makes sense to a lawyer. You kind of you, you can't access those services as much as if you can't pay for them, and I think that's such an, a, a powerful insight for you to have. For my part, I was a litigation attorney for a number of years at a, a corporate law firm. Was an associate at the Supreme Court in Australia, where I'm based, 
I joined this civil liberties organization when I was there because I felt like I was enjoying what I was doing and I wanted to, to stick around and be a litigation attorney. But I felt like there was maybe more out there or more I could be doing. As part of this civil liberties organization, we built a web-based app called Mikey Finds, which will be nonsense to uh, the US audience, but it is kind of like a, a public transport ticket. It's called Mikey. Um, we use it here in Australia. They rolled it out um, and it had lots of problems. Um, but the interesting part for the audience, hopefully, is that the government introduced these kind of strange laws in relation to that public transport ticketing system. I won't go into the details, but it was it was quite an unfair and, and strange regime. So me and my friends set about trying to get the government to um, amend those laws and make it a fairer regime. One of the tools that we were using was this app that gave people advice in relation to what they needed to do if their ticket wasn't working because there were lots of technical problems. We rolled it out with a $0 marketing spend, had a bit of a viral PR campaign. We had 30,000 users on the first day, 60,000 by the end of the first month. The month after that, the government ended up repealing the regime and introducing a, a whole new system um, that was a lot fairer and made a lot more sense. And so for me, that was I mean, just intoxicating, right? Obviously, it was very exciting and fun, um, but there were two key lessons for me. One was if you build legal tech well, people want it. Like there is so much demand out there for these services that we don't even know about because, you know, maybe we haven't hit on it in the right way or we haven't marketed it in the right way or we haven't, whatever. There's lots of different reasons why. And the second was that you can drive real and meaningful change with legal tech. And that's what led me to start Joseph. So the broad idea is I want anyone in the legal world, whether you're at an LSO or an in-house team or a law firm, I want you to be able to build and launch a tool like that. Um, and drive real and meaningful change for yourself. Wow, that is really incredible. Great work. I mean, talk about immediate impact. You could really see that straight away. That's yeah, really inspiring to think about. It also reminds me a bit of do not pay in just thinking about how we address some consumer issues on the tech side and making it more intuitive and interactive and, um, dare I say, fun to interact with legal tech solutions and help solve problems as we go. So that's that's really fantastic. All right, so let's go ahead and dig into some of the details of the pro bono projects you've been working on in partnership with local legal services organizations. To that point around impact, you know, what you all are working on has such such potential for great breadth and great reach. And so I'm excited to highlight some of these specific projects and get folks thinking about how they might apply them within their own organizations. So Ransom, you all are currently co-developing a tool to automate orders of protection with one of LSC's grantees, Legal Aid Chicago. Tell us how that project came about and how does the tool work? Oh, thank you very much for asking. I love Legal Aid Chicago. They're so fun to work with. Uh, we met Legal Aid Chicago through Sara Gadiri, who's pro bono counsel at Chapman Cutler, uh, which is a, a great firm, you know, with an office in Chicago. She met our CEO, Kimball Parker, at the ABA Tech Show in Chicago this past spring. And Sara is great at a lot of things. One of them is matching problems with solutions. So when she was talking with Kimball about 650's pro bono efforts and, you know, document and process automation, she thought of Legal Aid Chicago, who she works with a lot. And Legal Aid Chicago, they help a ton of people with all kinds of complicated legal problems, but one of the hardest in every single way is orders of protection. And with orders of protection, we're talking about situations where people may be in real danger, you know, 
Um, they need urgent help. It's often an emergency. But the process of getting even an emergency order of protection is a boondoggle. It's something like 19 different documents, around 70 pages total in paperwork. Jeez. And the thing is that there are solutions there, but they're kind of disparate. You know, Illinois Legal Aid Online built a, a great tool for petitions, but it's specifically for new petitions, not amended petitions. And it came down to Legal Aid Chicago needing a tool that's customized to to their work and the communities that they serve. So Sara just thought, hey, here's a problem, here's a solution. She connected 650 with Legal Aid Chicago, and we're building this tool set for them uh, for free as part of our, our pro bono efforts. Um, how it will work, uh, it works a little bit right now. We've just barely finished up the affidavit today, actually. That was my last call. And how it will work is that Legal Aid Chicago attorneys will have a free 650 account. They can add other attorneys who can collaborate on the petition with them. They can add the petitioner. And then when it's all done, they can go through a single questionnaire and it will generate all of the paperwork they need, whether they need all 19 documents or just a handful of them. The attorney won't need to know all the specifics. The people at Legal Aid Chicago who, who understand these problems, who understand these communities, they helped us build it in such a way that any attorney at Legal Aid Chicago will be able to go through and intuitively ask these questions to the petitioner and then end up with a stack of documents that's customized to the specific needs of that petitioner and their petition. That's incredible. And how do you envision that changing how Legal Aid Chicago interacts with individuals looking for orders of protection? Our goal uh, is that this gets rid of some of the tediousness, uh, takes the tedious stuff off their plate, empowers these attorneys to be great attorneys. They can focus their time and their attention on strategy and on you know preparing the clients for hearings and other big picture lawyer stuff, you know, because hopefully 650 is automating all the tedious stuff, all the paperwork, or at least most of it. Right. That's so great. We're actually working with Legal Aid Chicago as well on a TIG grant to integrate Paladin with Legal Server, their case oh, management software, so we can more seamlessly share pro bono cases between the platforms. And it's just so exciting and encouraging when you find other organizations in the community that are as interested in innovation as you are and excited to dig into the details and get in the trenches with you and co-develop tech solutions. Yeah. So yeah, huge fans of Legal Aid Chicago oh, as well. Absolutely. They're they're really fun to work with. They'll we hope to see and we plan to see the same kind of relationship with other LSOs where they send us sort of a work product. They say, here's an example of something that we know works. Here's a an affidavit that is successful, you know, without any client, any actual client's information, but just a nice example, then we can pick it apart into the pieces and, and send it back and go back and forth. 650 is doing less work than we would building a, a tool by ourselves. They're doing less work than they would on their own. And then hopefully we're building something that's useful to them and to other attorneys. I love that. It's all about collaboration, you know, bringing in their oh. expertise in the subject matter and your expertise on the tech side and building something that's incredibly powerful and scalable in a way that we wouldn't be able to do individually. So that's that's great to hear. And I know that you all have been working on initiatives for pro bono lawyers in other practice areas, including things like automating asylum applications. You were working on some projects related to the war in Ukraine. Yeah. You built out a free estate planning tool, gender marker services. I mean, there's so much to work on and so much need. How do you all decide what to work on next? And what is that process like for partnering with the LSOs? That's a great question. There, 
Clo- helping to close the access to justice gap is a tall order. We're talking, you know, at least 50 million people in the United States who have unmet legal needs. These are incredibly complex problems, and there are a lot of solutions out there already. So we start by trying to be as data-driven as we can possibly be. We're reviewing reports like LSC's Access to Justice Gap report, uh, reports from state bar associations. We go to events like ILTACON and Equal Justice Conference. Um, of course, we're following thought leaders like you, Kristen. Uh, we follow thought leaders like Dino Hamonis at Wilson Sonsini, uh, Stacey Butler at Innovation for Justice. And we ask them, you know, we, we say, what are the problems you're seeing? Where are the gaps that exist right now? Once we feel like we have a good understanding of the problems, we like to look at the landscape of solutions. You know, how are these problems being solved right now? So we're going to, you know, Law Help Interactive and Law Depot and Just Fix and Do Not Pay because we don't want to reinvent the wheel. The wheel. We, want to, we want to be as efficient as possible. And we also don't see any of these groups as competition. You know, it's the, the competition is all of us, uh, you know, versus the access to justice gap. So we love to talk directly to the, the people who know these communities and these problems the best. We have a great legal team at 650, you know, but our specialties are employment law and privacy law and corporate and commercial law. So we like to talk to the attorneys who, who know this. They're in the trenches fighting these fights and saying, what do you need? What are the, where are the bottlenecks? Where are the barriers? What would be helpful? That's something I love about working with Legal Aid Chicago is uh, we've got this great back and forth of here's something we know will be successful. And then we say, okay, here's all the parts and the, the data we need to gather to generate this thing that you think will be successful. How do you gather this data? When you're talking to a client, what are the questions you ask and how do you ask them? And, and in what order do we ask, do you ask them? And then we take all that and we go back and forth until we have something really useful. And hopefully we're going to see this move the needle a little bit. You know, um, we've had a, an impact so far. We've helped tens of thousands of people. But we know that to actually close this giant gap, we need to be helping 10 times as many people every year. Mm-hmm. And we're confident that we're going to get there. Absolutely. Sam, one of the projects that Joseph worked on that I found to have such great impact in the community was a bot that you all built in partnership with VALS, Volunteers of Legal Services, in New York during COVID. That bot helped individuals determine whether or not they were eligible for unemployment assistance in the state of New York. How did you collaborate with VALS and what was that response like? Yeah, this is uh, one of my favorite projects in the space, Kristen. Um, so we we met Vols through a partner law firm um, that they work with and that we were doing work with as well. I think we'll talk about them uh, a bit further on today or a bit later on today. It was the start of COVID. It was sort of, I think it was April, May 2020 when we first connected. Um, they had an unemployment benefits hotline that anyone could call at any time. Uh, to learn about whether or not they were um, entitled to benefits in New York State. That obviously exploded, as did many of those sorts of services at that time, given what happened uh, to unemployment um, in the States. And I think that the number of calls tripled or even more over that period of time. They felt that really keenly as a pain point, both for them, because they had a lot more work and they had to answer these 
these questions on the phone service, but also for the wait time. People, help seekers, we had to wait longer to get the answer and they were dropping off. They were abandoning the calls because they were waiting too long. So this was a really key pain point. And I think Ransom made some really interesting points about how we identify opportunities for innovation for tech, for automation across the industry. And I think that was great at a macro level. Um, One of the things that I get to see by working with particular organizations is we tackle these problems at the more micro level. So what is your, what is your pain point right now? What is getting you, um, what is affecting the organization? And then we tackle that. So that's how they identified the problem. I suppose the key point here is, um, or another key point is that the type of work, uh, and this is a point that Ransom made, was quite repetitive, right? So every phone call was the same kind of question. Am I eligible or... Uh, this is my immigration status. Will that impact my application? Or even logistical questions. How do I go about applying? Where do I go? What's the website? What information do I need? So the volunteers who were servicing the hotline found that they were just answering the same questions over and over again. Again, if you see repetitive work um, or something is repetitive, it's a really good flag or indicator for you to know that that might be amenable to automation. So we worked with Vols. Um, we originally worked through the law firm, but then with Vols directly. So we upskilled some of their attorneys and some of their volunteers to build out these tools on the platform. And um, the first one, as you said, that they built was this unemployment benefits FAQ bot. So frequently asked questions bot. They launched it on their website. Um, people, when they went to the website, they either interacted with the bot, answered a few questions and got what they needed and then went on their way and made the application for the unemployment benefits scheme. Or if they did call Vols and they hadn't found it on the website, the volunteer would then often direct them back to the tool. It's really, really simple. It answered, you know, whatever percentage of questions that people had. The coolest part or my favorite part is that it had a massive impact as well. So after launching the bot, Vols at that point said they were getting 20 to 30 calls a day about this particular scheme. Each of those calls was taking 10 to 15 minutes. After they launched it, that was down to five a day, um, five that they had to deal with without sending them through the bot. Uh, and so that's massive, right? I mean, that's massive both for the organization because, as Ransom said, that means that those volunteers, those attorneys are doing higher level strategic work or particularly at an LSO, they're helping those people who can't help themselves. And on the client side or the help seeker side, those people are able to get answers quickly. They don't have to spend 40 minutes waiting on a call. They can jump on, have a quick conversation with the tool and get the answer straight away. That was such an unreal yet transformational time, wasn't it? I remember around Mm -hmm. that time as well at Paladin, we ended up partnering with the New York State Bar Association to leverage our platform and connect volunteer attorneys who wanted to help people in need with a similar issue with unemployment Uh, benefits across the state. And through the technology, we were able to serve thousands of people who might not have had gotten help otherwise, or might not have had other resources. So I'm sure there's some overlap there, which is always exciting to see. And hopefully those experiences, you know, really encouraged organizations to continue investing in tech solutions and leverage what we've built for other causes moving forward to just help accelerate the way that people can access the system and get help a lot quicker. Yeah. Can, can I just jump in there, Kristen? I, I think Please. one of the most exciting parts with Vols is that was one tool that they built and launched and had a massive impact, but 
now they have this culture and this skill set internally where they're looking at other opportunities. So now they've moved on to the immigration space and they're looking at building out tools there. Um, so that's that's one of the most exciting parts of, of this project for me. Yeah, that's incredible to just know that one initial project can lead to so much more. And that's always why I encourage people to, you know, start with something small, start with something that Mm -hmm. they're comfortable with, that's, you know, really in their wheelhouse. And then once folks understand the capability of technology and the possibilities of different applications, I mean, there's so much more that we can do together. So that's very cool to hear. I'm going to have to follow up on those projects too. So I do want to go back to... Vols, because you mentioned that you were introduced through a mutual partner of ours, Clifford Chance. And I had read about a project that you worked on with them where you engaged their summer associates and a number of Clifford Chance's legal services partners, including My Sister's Place, Vols, DC Volunteer Lawyers Project. How did you all structure that program and what types of projects were the teams working on? Mm, yeah, this is one of my favorite projects with with a law firm. Um, we developed this program um, called the Automation Academy with Clifford Chance. Um, we developed it in Asia Pacific first and then rolled it out globally. Um, it was picked up by the Clifford Chance US offices, um, particularly New York and DC. And so each summer, the summer associates come through. Um, we want them to experience lots of different aspects of the firm culture, the firm life, and obviously the work as well. Um, one of the, the core parts of Clifford Chance and the work that you do as an attorney is that legal tech piece. It's a really core part of what they do. Um, they're really passionate about it. I think they do it really well as well. So this was a way of giving the summer associates a taste of that and, and a real world practical taste as well. I think sometimes these sorts of programs can be more about sort of the feeling or the marketing effort or, you know, whatever sort of feel good aspect. But what was really key to the success of this program from the, from the beginning was we are not building these solutions just for a presentation night and you'll get an award. We're building these solutions because we genuinely hope that they will be launched and we will push for them to be launched afterwards. And, and we saw that with the Volspot that actually came, the first version came from this, this program. We, what happens is over, I think it's over six or seven weeks, um, we upskill the summers in all of the different core competencies that they need to use a no-code tool like Joseph, um, or more broadly, just to operate in the legal tech and innovation space. So um, user experience design, workflow mapping, identifying opportunities, um, empathy interviews. So all these kind of uh, lots of buzzwords I just threw out at you, but these are really practical things that you can do to make sure that your tech solutions have a better chance of success. What they then did, and this was my favorite part, um, Clifford Chance then partnered groups of summers with LSOs or legal aid organizations. So Vols in New York, my sister's place in New York as well, um, DC VLP in Washington, DC. So all these amazing organizations doing different work and sat down and found a real pain point or a real problem or a real opportunity and then developed a solution in response to that. So I've told you about the Vols unemployment benefits, but DC VLP um, was great. That What they built for them was a multilingual intake tool. So DC VLP found they were spending lots of time on the phone just taking clients or help seekers details. Um, tell me about the problem, send me this document, send me that document. They'd get half the instructions. It would go to the attorney or the volunteer. They'd review it. 
they'd have to go back to the client, ask for more details, and that process would just continue and take a really, really, really long time. So that was a, a really simple solution. They built an online intake tool so that instead of that back and forth, people could jump on and in their own time, fill out a smart form, upload all their relevant documents, and then that would be sent through to DCVLP. Again, removing that repetitive low-level work so that the volunteers and the attorneys can spend time on the things that actually matter. So I really like that. My sister's place, their tool actually won. There was a, was a competition. Um, they built a kind of like a, a referral bot. So kind of a, a mix between that FAQ bot and the intake bot. It told immigrants what benefits they were entitled to in New York state. Um, and that ranged from unemployment benefits to housing, to foods, to health services, and pointed them in the right direction. And so again, I think that's a really simple, but a powerful tool for LSOs because a lot of the work that they do is just directing people to the right resource because they just happen to be the place where the help seeker ended up. There's so much talk about whether law students should be learning how to code in law school or as a part of law school. And I love that you were working with Summers on a no-code solution to help address mm-hmm. all of these problems. So hopefully we can settle that argument once and for all, but there's so much opportunity using other tools to to build out really unique solutions. Although, you know, I must say, we hear often from our partners and, you know, feel this ourselves, that tech can sometimes feel like a big lift. It can be intimidating. What do you both see as the benefits for teams, both on the legal services side and the law firm side, to invest in tech or automation projects? And what does success look like coming out of those? Ransom, you want to start us off? Yeah, definitely. Uh, First of all, I totally identify with somebody who doesn't want to take on a new tech tool or, you know, learn every new tech thing that comes out. Tech has a learning curve. It can be really hard. Not to name names, but I know lawyers who still use WordPerfect, you know? I get it. The benefit is efficiency and the kind of things that Sam was talking about, spending less time on tedious stuff, more time on the stuff that matters. And attorneys are on board with that. Every attorney I know is 100% on board with being more efficient. They didn't go to law school, you know, to draft and redraft things and ask the same question over and over again. But what they don't want is to spend all this time learning new tools um, when the market is so fragmented and it changes all the time. And so they learn something and then they just got to relearn it again. You know, um, they'll learn how something works. They'll get really good at it. And then it will become obsolete or it'll be totally different. And we try to keep that in mind at 650 when we build new tools. We make sure we're building stuff that's intuitive, uh, that it doesn't take too much time to figure out. And I think it helps that we build tools for non-lawyers as well, because we're always thinking about accessibility. We're always thinking about building something from the perspective of ease of use and accessibility as like priority number one. And there's always going to be a challenge to learning a new tech tool. If we can try not to duplicate, you know, as much as we can avoid duplicating things that already have solutions and building tools that are easy to learn, we hope that that encourages more attorneys to use our tools and, you know, like Sam was saying, spend less time on on the tedious, boring stuff and more time on the strategic, high-level stuff that matters. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, Ransom. Um, the point I wanted to pull out of that, though, was the sustainability piece. Yeah. Because I think that's really key, right? Five years ago, everyone was building these flashy, shiny apps that 
had all the bells and whistles. They attached them to some LSO and then they died a slow and painful death and they were ignored and orphaned and whatever else. The I think now a much more sophisticated approach is let's build simple, easy to use, integrated tools that actually work within the ecosystem of the LSO. I think Paladin is an amazing example of that. I think Ransom, you've talked about a bunch of different tools that 650 have built as well that fall really neatly into that category. So I think that's such an important point for our audience to take away. I know it's scary. Tech can be really, really scary. But I guess just starting small is something that Kristen said earlier. I think that's a a key part of this. Start small, speak to other people in the industry, see what other people are doing. Um, People have done this before you and use their expertise, leverage their expertise. And the community as well, I think, is really open and willing to share and just excited that anyone else is interested in the space and wants to do this work with us. Some benefits, though, I think we've all talked about saving time and efficiencies internally. I think that's really key for LSOs. It's such a sort of stressful environment where you don't have a lot of support, you don't have a lot of resources. So saving you any time and stress is really powerful. I think scaling your services and just helping more people is a really powerful benefit of legal tech and automation. It's not going to help everyone. Tech is not the answer to everyone's problems, but it will help a lot of people. Um, and I hear that as, a, as an objection a lot in this space. Some other skills, um, sorry, benefits rather, that uh, I've seen in the in legal aid organizations that we work with are um, giving you access to data so you can advocate better. So it's not just about helping that particular individual or solving that particular problem. It's about collecting data so that you can start to recognize patterns in the particular space that you're working in. We had one consumer rights organization that was issuing letters of demand to to insurers who are breaching certain laws. And they started to recognize patterns that certain types of companies were issuing certain types of insurance products that were breaching certain types of laws. And they could then pull together some advocacy tools to help them talk to government or speak to regulators. Upskilling your team in new skills, future-proofing them, employee experience, making sure that people aren't just doing repetitive work every day. The team at DCVLP, I remember working with them on this intake tool and they were so energized and excited and we'd meet up every week and we'd learn new skills and and build this tool and solve problems for their their clients. And yeah, just that that kind of energy, I think, is is really powerful thing to bring into your organization. Changing the way you think, so it's not just about repeating the same process, it's about looking at your processes and seeing where you might be able to improve it or fix it or realize opportunities. And the final one, I realize this is a very long answer, is uh, I think something that Ransom pointed out earlier, increasing collaboration across the sector. There's this awesome project that Margaret Hagen from Stanford University is leading called the Filing Fairness Project. Um, If you haven't heard of it, check it out. But she's bringing together the courts and governments and regulators and legal tech companies and law schools and law firms to try and bridge this gap and to make sure that the tools we build speak to the courts and integrate with the court systems. And so just even the fact that that conversation is happening, I think is a, is a one, one of the really powerful benefits of engaging in this, these kinds of projects. It's such a good list of benefits. And I feel like we could go on and on because there is so much to work with here. No, it's all accurate though. And that's the thing. There are so many opportunities for personal, professional growth and building out these solutions in addition to having impact. So it's really a win for everyone. And to 
the point around interoperability, the more we can collaborate with each other and work on solutions that we can scale outside of one organization, the better off we're all going to be. So to that point, what advice do you each have for LSOs wanting to get started on new tech initiatives? Uh, so I, I'm actually, so I'm not an attorney. Uh, my background before 650, I was a customer success manager. I did account management. So tech initiatives were the whole, that was the whole ball game. And the thing that I saw in common with, you know, every successful tech initiative, what they all had in common was that they knew what they wanted. So if I were to give one piece of advice uh, to an LSO starting a new tech I- uh, initiative, it would be start with your goals. You know, figure out exactly what you want to get out of this initiative specifically and keep asking yourself why until you get to the to the most basic root. You know, so you want to start a new tech initiative that automates your client intake. Why do you want to do that? So you can spend less time filing and filling out intake forms uh, and more time working with clients. Why? So that your time with clients can be more strategic. You know, you keep on getting it till you get to that core thing. Okay, I want to have more time to think strategically with my clients. That's the goal. Now, you know, put some meat on that, figure out how much more time, what are the metrics you're going to use to measure success? How will you know how successful you've been? Is it going to be in, you know, clients served? Is it going to be in number of successful petitions? Once you've really fleshed it out, put somebody in charge of it. I've seen a lot of initiatives fall apart because there's a committee and there's no real decision maker. You know, so put someone in charge, support that person. Uh, you know, tech companies have entire roles that this is just the only thing that they do. You know, agree on those goals, agree on the success metrics as a team, empower one person to make the decisions, and then set a deadline. Say, we're going to kick off this initiative by this date. We're going to hold ourselves accountable and measure our success on this date. And if you do that, you're going to be in a better position than most people who try to start a new tech initiative. I agree with all of that, Ransom. I, For my part, I would suggest that people start small. I've already said it, but I will emphasize it again for people who haven't um, been involved in a tech project. I think nearly every single time the idea is very ambitious Uh, at the beginning, and then it always becomes smaller and narrower. So starting small is going to give you a better chance of success. As Ransom said, if you get clear on your goals and you know what you want to achieve, you're going to have a much higher chance of success as well. There's lots of different ways of doing that. If you're sitting here thinking, I don't know what I want, that's also a really common situation to be in. Some things to look out for are pain points. So what are the things in your organization that everyone complains about? The really annoying task, that's a really good place to look for opportunities for automation or legal tech or innovation. Likewise, for your clients, what's the big pain point for them? And drilling into those parts, you're likely going to find things that you're going to be able to fix. Um, The really important part of that is that people really care about that. And so from a change management perspective, you're going to be able to carry people with you on the journey. So looking for those pain points or those big opportunities, I think is really important. Checking what else is out there. There are lots of awesome projects out there. Um, People have failed before you, they have succeeded before you, and they've probably built tools in the space that you're interested in. Um, So do a market scan, reach out to those people, call those people, talk to them and learn from their mistakes so that you don't have to I think as well for LSOs, 
finding the right partner organizations is a really key part as well. It's unlikely that you're going to go off and do this on your own. You're going to find a tech company. You're going to find a design agency. You're going to find a law firm, making sure that you connect with them and have the same goals um, and understand each other, I think is really, really important. And because these projects are really, really complex and sophisticated, and I think it needs to be a long-term sustainable partnership for it to be successful. The final one is um, Ransom's point, make sure it's sustainable, make sure it's funded, make sure it integrates with your systems, um, make sure you've got the skills in your team, not just relying on external people. I know that throws up a lot of barriers and hurdles, so don't let that that stop you, um, but that will be something you'll need to sort out if you want it to be in a long-term ongoing project. All excellent points. Thank you. All right. Last question. How do you need to see technology increasing access to justice longer term? I love that question. My, you know, my dream and what I really believe is that technology is going to do for the law what it did for like language and translation. Uh, I grew up hearing a lot about that stuff. My, my wacky father who moved us to the middle of nowhere and, you know, raised us without social security numbers uh, was also a brilliant linguist and a pioneer in machine translation. So I grew up hearing about, you know, machine translation and crazy conspiracy theories, about 50-50. And one of the things he always talked about was 50 years ago, the prevailing wisdom was that human language was an art. You know, it was this ineffable, like, intricate, living, cultural artifact thing that could never really be automated in a meaningful way. But that's not the case at all. You know, a couple years ago, I was pointing my phone at, like, grocery store labels in Slovakia and reading what it said in English with a free app, you know? So it wasn't perfect. You still need professionals who understand the nuances to get you to perfect. But language is a lot like the law in a lot of ways, I think. You've got parts of it that are crazy, you know, intricate and delicate and almost impossible to automate, sure. But mostly, it's just a bunch of really complicated patterns and rules. And you can automate a bunch of it And then people do the big picture stuff, you know, the stuff that matters, like Sam said. When you mentioned Ukraine, uh, Kristen, so when 650 built our free tools for Ukraine, we did all the translation through machine translation first, and then we worked with professionals to fine tune it. And I think that's what we're going to see with the law. Uh, I think the bulk of legal interactions are going to be automated, and attorneys will focus on the the nuance and the strategy. And I don't think that's going to take 50 years. I think that's something we're seeing right now. 650 hopes that our role is going to be lowering barriers and helping to unclog some of these bottlenecks by building things like upstream solutions, helping the helpers, you know, advocating for government forms that are simple and uniform and free. And if we can be part of that and we see this general trend toward automating the easy stuff, some of the good news, I think, is that even though access to justice is complicated. The legal problems that people uh, who can't afford legal help are trying to solve are pretty simple compared to the, the rest of the law. You know, helping a consumer understand and advocate for their rights is a lot more straightforward than like, you know, negotiating a giant merger. So there's always going to be a place for the specialists and the people who understand nuance and strategy But I I think that the easiest parts of the law to automate are actually going to have an outsized benefit when it comes to access to justice. I couldn't have said it better myself, Ransom. I think that the future of technology and access to justice is all about technology and humans. It's about 
empowering attorneys, empowering people who work in the legal profession um, to build tools to use technologies or just to identify opportunities for using technology um, in their organisations to help more people and to help their colleagues. Professor Harry Surden, who works in the AI space in the States, he recently gave a talk where he said that I think it was the first AI player had beaten a human chess player. He was talking about that point. But what would always beat the AI player was an AI-enabled human player. Hmm. And I I thought that was a really nice sort of parable, right, for us, because it it is the case. We're not building these tools to replace attorneys. We're building these tools to augment the way that we work, to save us from the repetitive stuff, to help us do our work better and to allow us to focus on that higher level, more valuable work. I think this is really powerful in the LSO legal aid space because we constantly suffer from that excess demand and not enough supply. And so this is a way of bridging that gap, that access to justice gap that Ramson mentioned at the start. But I think this is going to play a role across the profession, no matter where you work. It's going to allow us to help more people. It's going to allow us to work smarter. It's also going to allow us to reconfigure and reimagine the profession to be more client-focused and client-centric in the way that other industries have been for quite a long time now. Um, So I'm really excited to see where it goes. And and I think it's already happening. Thank you so much for that. And when I think about some of the initial legal tech, justice tech pioneers like Pro Bono Net and some of the earlier solutions and seeing how they've evolved over the past few decades and thinking about some of the newer players to come into the scene and begin building new innovative solutions, there's just so much potential for collaboration and to build on these early foundations to really scale access in a meaningful way. So organizations like 650, Joseph, Paladin, uh, there's there's so much need. And if we each play a small role and come together, we can have an outsized impact. So thank you so much to both of you for joining. This was such an inspiring conversation. I hope you all have a great end to Pro Bono Month. And I can't wait to see what you all build next. Thanks, Kristen. Thank you so much, Kristen. Thanks so much to everyone who is listening. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and be sure to subscribe to the podcast in your favorite player. Podcast guest speakers' views, thoughts, and opinions are solely their own and do not necessarily represent the Legal Services Corporation's views, thoughts, or opinions. The information and guidance discussed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice. You should not make decisions based on this podcast content without seeking legal or other professional advice.